Hey, welcome back to Front Room Theology. We are here for episode five. Yeah, five. Um, where we are talking about ethics right now. And um, yeah, so this episode, just to jump right in, is going to be more of just kind of a raw discussion about what we're talking about, just to kind of take a break from me just trying to explain stuff. Um, but also like us three just really talking about um, what we have talked about and uh, without like any much script or anything. So um, yeah, I just wanted to open that up to you, you guys, Jen and Josh, and um, just what questions do you have as we've talked about this so far? Because um, I have questions and I've learned a lot, but I'm curious what you two are thinking as well. Yeah, it's been super helpful for me just to identify and reflect on the state that we're in and to have the language that we are in a state of disordered discourse. And now that we've named it, how do we go about navigating that in a Christ-honoring way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do y'all think? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, I think that's worth picking up and discuss. I mean, there's so many good questions that come out of what we've talked about, and I've really enjoyed the conversations so far, so I'm excited about this one too. But um, yeah, naming the frameworks and kind of the, the state of, of where we are and the history, I think, is helpful. And then, and I'm excited to see where we go next also, but this is a good pause moment. I'm excited about it. But yeah, how do we navigate that in Christ-honoring ways? You've got it, Jen. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, there's, because, like, that's the thing. There hasn't been a lot of application so far. We've kind of applied to, like, your uh, story with Luke, Lucas. Um, but yeah, we haven't, like, been able to, like, talk about applying it and... That's kind of my question too, is like, we're starting, I'm becoming more aware of things and I'm seeing it, but like, then what do we do about it? Cause we can't, we just, you can't just like go teach people. Like they're not going to listen. If they're not going to listen. I definitely think that's what you should do. Tyler, is just go <laughs> and be like, Hey, you're applying a deontological framework to this question. Not helpful people. Not helpful. I have, I have been occasionally going like up and being like, it's just like, we're just disciples of Kant. We're not really following Jesus. But people are like, what? <laughs> or just any argument you see and just go Nietzschean boom yeah yeah dude straight up like it's so Nietzschean so I think about your wife Tyler and how uh-huh. she asks why do I care or why does this matter or yeah she's really good at that <laughs> or just her. in a loving teasing way but all of this does matter and one way that I've seen it affect me personally and my family is relationally So if we are living under the unwritten codes of disordered discourse, then really we are cultivating disunity. And that is the opposite of what I see as one of the main themes of the narrative of the entire Bible is Mm -hmm. oneness, unity, and that we are to our ministry it says, you know, in Second Corinthians is a ministry of reconciliation. It's reconciling with God and reconciling with others. And the unwritten codes of disordered discourse do not cultivate oneness. It's actually um, anti-one. I don't know. <laughs> it brings about just a lot of pain and hurt and broken relationships. And it's really the opposite of what we're called 
to be doing. Mm-hmm. Could, could you sit there, Jen, just for a minute? In what ways... What I heard you say, and I'm, I'd have to listen to the tape to see if this was your exact words, but um, what I heard in my head was something like, um, we're actively cultivating disordered discourse. Can you talk about some of the ways that you've seen us do that? Like, because I think that's really a powerful image, at least in my brain at the moment. Yeah, so even (laughs) the need for the pastor at the church where I'm attending to speak to the people, church people, be kind. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is a huge indicator of where we're at, that inside the church, church people are being unkind to one another and unkind to people outside the church. When we are called to be the aroma of Christ, that is a putrid smell. So we are being called to um, have be a place of belonging for others. That, And we are called to really, like in the most simplest terms, to be kind. And what that looks like is to show love and to engage with people in conversation even at a heart level, because a lot of the the biggest issue is at a heart level, that what I find in myself that is cultivating discourse and disorder and disunity is my attitude. Mm -hmm. And whether or not I say it out loud, I have a category of people right now in my heart that are the annoying category. And if I don't address that in my own heart, it's my own posture issue. Um, One of my mentors encouraged me to read a book called The Anatomy of Peace. And what it addresses is my own heart posture and nothing will change in my relationships where there's disorder until I change my posture and my heart towards and my perspective. And so that's that's where it starts is in our heart posture and our attitudes towards others and our perspectives and how, because it's clear, if church people are being unkind to one another within the church, it's clear where our heart attitude needs reshaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I really like what you said because um, I think we we're talking about this earlier. But how, and one, so one of the things I've been like thinking about is how a lot of the issues is yeah, it's perspective and our posture. We have a posture towards someone who disagrees with us, and that they're like very ill-willed towards someone. Like, um, and I was just listening to something about how um so like the idea of socialism is really bad because then the government controls things more but the posture that's coming from is that the government is just like inherently evil and they're only like looking to control you and dominate you but i mean is that really true and then so coming from a church perspective like we see the people that disagree with us as like ill like they're not looking out for our best interests that's how we view it Mm -hmm. um but i'm coming to realize that's not true it's just a different perspective a different framework and i know like that's what you've been talking about like very different framework not a different like like or dislike of people But we've been conditioned to have a us versus them mentality. And I've learned that much of our discipleship and our learning experience is caught. We are um, conditioned 
and it, without stopping and you know doing contemplative prayer or um, self-reflection and dialoguing with one another like this it's not exposed and we just continue in these unhealthy ways that are not honoring yeah it's super interesting I've reflected over several years that the people who should know best that all of us are messed up (laughs) are constantly putting it on other people to get their act together and never naming for ourselves our own failures. Uh, So you just mentioned self-reflection, right? Self-reflection is me going, where am I messed up? And where is the plank in my eye that prevents me from seeing either the value in the person across from me and if if god calls me to help them with a sliver in their own eye i've got to get the plank out of my eye (laughs) otherwise i'm no value for them um yeah so yeah i appreciate that note of self-reflection like start with us um david's prayer was create in me a clean heart um, but you have to be willing to look, right? Yeah. And many of us, that's another part of our conditioning, I would say, in our culture is to be prideful and yeah. overly self-confident. And so it's yeah. been difficult, honestly, for even me to look um, because yeah. for some reason we've been taught or caught that there's something wrong with me or I'm no good if yada yada but the reality is we're all broken and we say that and toss that around but too often many of us aren't willing to look at our brokenness and allow it to be healed or touched or um, at least reshapen by the power of the spirit yeah it reminds me um i forget where i saw this somewhere uh but when we look at what it means to love, um, one of my convictions has become, and I, again, I saw this somewhere, I'm stealing from someone, and I apologize to the person I'm stealing this from, but when it comes to what it means to love our own community versus love communities of, that are different, um, and in some ways this could be reflecting on McIntyre also, mm-hmm. um, but if we want to love our own community, uh, it seems important to me that we be um, connected with that community, but also be um, self-critical and self-reflective about our community. And if you want to love somebody else um, from a different community, uh, be as generous. Give them as generous a reading. I, I, we do this in marriage. At least healthy marriages do. <laughs> Be like, my wife sees things differently than I do. That feels really weird. But, like, if I assume the worst of her argument, like, if I assume the worst from her, then, like, she's out to get me or something, then there's no way forward. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I assume the worst of me and the best of her, then there's a way to move forward in, in grace and love and peace. But we have, the church has adopted the opposite stance seems like in response to the culture and the way things are moving and yeah because i know i for the longest time i was functioning with this mindset that like everyone outside the church was just wanting to destroy the church but like no they just 
they've seen what the church has been um and they have a they have a vision for like a good and they're just pursuing that but that vision of theirs that framework of theirs doesn't include the church because they've seen what it what it does and so they think the church has and then so like send them for them like they might develop like oh the church doesn't have its interest in the people it's just an interest for itself Mm. um yeah and it's like we just you mentioned mcintyre and some of that was what you just said reminded me of how he talked about how we've so depersonalized ethics Mm. we've just turned it and this is something that's still in my mind from reading that um i think it was just in the first chapter but like we've depersonalized everything down to just like yeah like rules or laws and um not we're just like not allowing the context of a situation or even of a time period to dictate um kind of where these laws come from or rules come from and um if we just like deep and that's that yeah like if we depersonalize everything it's just like oh you're doing this you're wrong you're bad mm-hmm. or maybe it's that they have a reason for their doing what they're doing what they're doing and they have a particular perspective and it's pretty justifiable um i just don't see it that same way so like then that seems like a better starting point than oh you're wrong you're out to get me you're not seeing you're not seeing you're only seeing the best for like your particular group or something like that Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and the church has functioned that way yeah so yeah 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 so it seems like self-reflection are is part of how we navigate disordered discourse in Christ-honoring ways. Yes? Yeah. I would say, yeah. Yeah. And even just to, real quick, just to apply to what we've been talking about, like, what what framework are you functioning from yourself? Like, ask yourself that. Like, do I care more about the consequences of an action? Do I care more about, like, the actions themselves? Or do I, like, care about the person? And who they're becoming who am i becoming like what is your primary concern like what matters most like ask yourself like individual freedoms does that matter most to you like why and why would someone else not see it that way like why would someone be willing to like sacrifice infringe on freedoms for the sake of like some other yeah it's just mm-hmm. just to apply it to what we have been talking about go ahead jen you're gonna say something Oh, I think um, what I was going to say is I had a thought back to that book I mentioned again, to the anatomy of peace and the self-reflection aspect of what we're talking about is to identify our perspectives of other people, just to reiterate that, because one of the things that happens, uh, according to this author, is people live into and out of how you see them. It's almost like that self-fulfilling prophecy, but towards others. They can tell your posture towards them and respond to your posture. And so one way to bring about unity and wholeness is to self-reflect and allow, like you had mentioned, creating me a clean heart. Show me where my attitude towards others sucks and my posture towards so-and-so so that way when I shift my perspective and the way that I see them it actually shifts my behavior towards them and it changes the nature of our relationship mm. and it's been 
profound in the relationships where I've recently applied this and it has brought about healing and reconciliation and order and oneness and unity even though it's not perfect it's resisting the unwritten codes of disorder and disordered discourse that's good and that reflects the way of Jesus too right I mean so we're talking about Christ honoring here but Jesus did not have to be empathic toward human humanity right like mm-hmm. he didn't have to be and I don't uh, like was he self-critical? I, it's hard for me to imagine that exactly. But, um, but he he said, you know what? I'm not gonna win them over by sitting here at the in the throne room of God. What he decided to do was to give up his place at the Father's right hand and become human for our sakes. So the reality is he um, he was in some sense was very empathic, in some sense almost self-critical, right, and self-reflective. Um, he chose to enter our world and to experience what we experience. So he could, I mean, again, I, I'm speaking into mysteries a little bit. Like, I don't know that he gained a new understanding, but he certainly gained new experience. Um, and it, I, I'm, I'm convinced that that's what it takes for us. That is a Christ-honoring perspective, is to listen in with empathy towards people who have different perspectives, uh, to lean into their experience for their sakes. Um I think that's a Christ honoring like image of cultivating a different kind of discourse, bringing order maybe to that discourse or whatever language you want to use. Which is restorative in nature, right? Mm-hmm. When we bring mm-hmm. order, which is again, the message of the Bible that God is restoring. Yeah. It's restorative renewal. And we are invited to partner in that. And this is, relationally is I would almost argue that the main way that we're called to do that is to restore order relationally by cultivating oneness and mm-hmm, unity mm-hmm. which stands against the powers yeah yep yeah that uh, standing against the powers you know Paul's language in Ephesians um, our job is standing against the powers um demonstrating the life and um, kingdom of Jesus, that it really is true, or John's language is um, uh, our oneness and unity demonstrates to the world that the Father really did send the Son. Um, Unity is the way that that happens. (laughs) And unity across division in particular, not just, you know, a kind of kumbaya or whatever, but Man, Kumbaya is actually a great song, so I I need to stop using that. Um, but it makes it sound like it's this like lovey, huggy, free, yeah. uh, harmonious, and free of all conflict and pain and right. disorder, which Utopian isn't reality. <laughs> yeah, that you, in order to restore order and oneness, you have to lean into the pain and be willing to expose the darkness. If we're standing right. firm against the powers of darkness, 
and aren't called to be the light and stand in the light, oftentimes we're called to expose, to expose the darkness, expose the ugliness. And what that entails often is conflict. Yeah. Sounds like... And discomfort. Sounds like you guys are speaking very anti-Nietzschean language. Because <laughs> you're like, as soon as you said, like, oh, you just stand against the powers, like, it's just like, oh, but oh, as we talked about Nietzsche, he's like, no, like, the powers are the, yeah. the are the right, and the right, those are with the power. Right. Like, well, and to clarify, it's the powers of darkness, not necessarily, like, our authority figures, because part of why we're giving given authority is to maintain order but this is more the powers of darkness mm-hmm. but there is a i think the way the world functions there is a the the venn diagram there's a large overlap between the powers and principalities and those with power um and that's why jesus came the way that he did he didn't come in power he came and um, divested himself of power and he warned us I was looking on my phone for the exact verse it's in Mark eight fifteen. he warns us be careful watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod what's he warning against the pharisaical way of holding particular behaviors um, above people and with Herod it's the the politics and the man-made power mm-hmm. that is not God's way and of course he values righteousness I remember back when um, we were chatting here at the Tyler's table before about we need to be careful not to become relativists as well, mm-hmm. that there is God's way does have the Ten Commandments and a set of righteousness, but are we holding to that above people? Mm-hmm. And, and, and in what way are we aspiring to take on that? Is it just by behaviors? Because if you, you can do the behavior and not have the right heart behind it, mm-hmm. right? And how do we, maybe this is a question for us to dialogue through, is how do we put on like the armor of God or the character of God to stand against the powers. Um, it, I, what I can say it's not is doing all the right things. So how do we grow in the areas of putting on God's character? Yeah. Y'all have thoughts? Yeah. Lots of thoughts. <laughs> it's probably by consequentialism totally or deontological like just deciding I'm gonna do all the right things yeah as you can tell we're a little down on those two <laughs> we, we have to admit especially me I'm so down on deontology I'm, I'm sensing some sarcasm <laughs> but as I'm listening like and this maybe we can kind of start talking about where this discussion's going now um because i have a vision of so for me what i'm starting to think of like starting to think a lot about is the idea of human nature um because like when you talk about like how do we put on the armor of god's character that's what what i hear is that like how do we how do we become 
of a certain character that we aren't right now, maybe, or aren't fully. And as I've, what I've come to see is through like reading Kant and understanding the deontological framework or even the consequentialist framework, um, it operates, and this is McIntyre's big, big thing, is like it operates from this mode of thinking that human nature just is what it is. Because if, if we if we are just what we are as far as you know human being human nature goes um there's it's not that we like progress as human in human nature to a certain point to like a certain character if it's just what it is we just have to follow these guidelines these rules or um these principles with other people and then we'll get along fine but mcintyre would say that um that's like he, or at least I'm because he's a virtue ethicist he's like no there's he's like he thinks like Aristotle there's human nature as it is and then human nature as it essentially could be um and when I hear putting on the armor of God or taking on God's character becoming like Jesus that assumes to me that we are wanting to move in nature as a human as a human race the nature of human race wants to shift not just an individual, but like as a whole, shift our nature or, into that. Or communities might be another way. To yeah, kind of fr- communities. That. Yeah, but yeah, he is a teleological thinker. That is, he, yeah, he he sees that humanity was created or exists for purpose. Mm-hmm. So moving from, we've got to move from disorder to fulfilling our purpose. Right. And I think we live in a society that is. I'm seeing like we're so dominated by the modern view of that, um, you know, we're evolutionary beings, that's fine, but that also that, and I hear this a lot, like arguments for certain things, like, well, it, this is natural for humans to do that. Mm. So therefore, like, it's okay, because it's natural, but like, that assumes that that is, um, that humans can't, nature can't shift to something that's like more what it's purposed for designed for or even like or restore back to what it's meant to be or was or mm-hmm. you know there's you can run with that so many different ways but to assume um and isn't that the idea of like progressivism like what are we progressing like society to progress society don't we need to change people and if people are just what they are like how are you ever gonna have progress um random just randomly clicked in my head but um yeah that's interesting like i'm postmodern enough that I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a lot of hope in societal progress, uh-huh. personally. Um, I do have hope that there's a way in which the church will fulfill our purpose. I'm not that sure about society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Or if society as a whole can move can have progress it's by way of the church being what the church is called to be and as the church does it maybe there's hope for progress Eh. yeah it's hard to say but it requires individuals to progress right but if it's just if we're just naturally inclined to selfishness like right how is that ever gonna work out (laughs) yeah so I've heard you mention a couple of different times our purpose. Mm-hmm. So how would you articulate what our purpose is? Yeah, that's a great 
Yeah, I mean, you guys both know that I've done a lot of reading and thinking on Revelation, and for me, Revelation um, uh, picks up a lot of the themes. But for me personally, uh, it looks something like um, us becoming like Jesus, us being, um, oh, this, okay, good image, I think. Us becoming a um, proper, uh, what's the language in Genesis? Um, uh, Eve is to Adam a um, Azer Konegdo. What's the oh, translation? The, well, Azer, the, a, yeah, helper. It's, helper. it's usually helper, yeah. but it's, yeah, the word An Azer. appropriate helper or something like yeah, that. Yeah, anyway. it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't capture the Hebrew meaning very right, well. Right, right. So, but like a, we are called to be to Jesus as a community. That, that is all of God's people together, which is all, people from all nations, all tribes, tongues, peoples, people groups, um, come together unified to become an Azer Konegdo, an appropriate help helper to Jesus as he rules the world. That's the image that I have. Cultivating and restoring oneness. Yeah, oneness. Um, and then we get to go and do all the things that God created us to do, like throughout all of creation, as a unified people, but then also like creative and um, ordering and um but within that oneness framework right um, so that's how i kinda, uh, and i love that you're talking about a, a shared role that this is not about individuals so i think of you had mentioned ephesians we keep re, you know referencing that the the you should be yeah. y'all it's not, hey, Tyler, uh, yeah, or hey, English. Josh. It's y'all together. And I grew up in southern New Mexico, so y'all no, is very much a part of my language. Be, y'all should be an official, like an actual word in English, not just an accent. Certainly or, for Bible translation. At least, yeah, for, darn I, it, would you say yeah. you all? Like, At least come you on. all. Yeah, the fact that we have our singular and plural, the same word for the second person, like, it's not help. It's it, very unhelpful. It actually, I think, is a factor in what we're talking about because if you are being talked to as an individual and not, and you're receiving it as an individualized role or an individualized yeah. calling or my relationship with Jesus, you're yeah. missing a huge part of the beauty of our true identity. Is a y'all, yep. hey you know, y'all's identity. How many? verses in the new testament you read it as you but it's a plural specifically plural in greek but in english it just says you because we got rid of the yeah but you in english can mean when you're in conversation like talking it seems like we assume it's implied but Mm -hmm. it depends on who's receiving yeah right and so it's a misunderstanding of the actual content of the the yeah. message yeah for that matter do we have to get all y'all because like <laughs> my understanding is that there's some distinction between y'all and all y'all in at least in certain <laughs> southern yeah oh my god <laughs> area region language man oh that's funny um, yeah no and i think and this is like really prevalent to us as a hyper individualized culture like this importance of like this collective um it's, and it's not to discredit the individual because like to me 
to have like to create that like to drive towards that purpose it requires individual each individual to transform and then from that but with the with the collective in mind not just for your own like well-being but like for the collective well-being where yeah like i'm with you just following rules doesn't do that without that mindset of like i'm going to do this to better myself to better community the community as opposed to yeah i'm going to do this because you know it keeps it fits it this is what i'm supposed to do or as opposed to like i'm gonna do this even though we're having different perspectives like these views have different perspectives it's literally just a little it's a shift in mindset from like i'm following these rules or i'm gonna do this action um for a different purpose than simply like oh it's the law or i won't get in trouble or i um what was I? I was just listening to some more of McIntyre's After Virtue yesterday, and he was talking about how he was talking about Aristotle, but how like the soldier is going to act courageous. Well, act courageous now is the soldier acting courageous because they're a courageous person, or because they've been well trained to act courageous, or that they're more afraid of the enemy, like than they're afraid of their superior officer, mm-hmm. like different mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just really simple changes in mindsets yeah. can change, um, shape who you are. Because uh, I could do, do good, virtuous stuff, but just be like, oh, I just have to do it for whatever. I don't really care. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, that's where I'm at mm-hmm. with all this right now. So as I'm pondering what we're talking about and bringing order to disordered discourse what i'm thinking about is that it seems that this is a way to bring about relational health mm-hmm. in a sense and really you know when we're talking about relational oneness and reconciliation it's like a relational health and it's easy for me to self-reflect right mm-hmm. and y'all are willing to did you hear that i said y'all y'all are Love willing it. to do that with me which i deeply value but um if if the point is more of a, a collective health, is there value in exposing this uh, these different perspectives? And I don't even know how to go about doing that. Like, it really feels like we're three misfits sitting around a kitchen table dialoguing about... In the um, front room. Yeah, in the front room about something that almost is overwhelming not almost it is overwhelming and maybe partly because i'm wired to hold responsibility over things but (laughs) it just seems like an overwhelming task to expose (laughs) hey y'all everybody we're check your deontology yeah Yeah, we're not not operating from the same framework or definitions (laughs) stop hating each other we just hug it out people (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, that's how I'm wired, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hug it out. We can deal with that. Yeah, yeah, so is there value in exposing this? And outside of us chatting on a podcast, how do you even do that? Yeah, I mean, seriously, like, and I... We need t-shirts. Okay, we could go around yeah. yelling, warning! <laughs> do yeah. not be... <laughs> Here, and like, here's a... Okay, and here's a prevalent example. So, and you were talking about self-awareness. But how do we also be aware of others' perspectives first? We have to be aware of what their perspective is. And then how do we... Yeah, then the question is like, okay, then how do we engage that person? Vladimir Putin, I think is such a good example right now. 
So it's easy to say like, oh, Vladimir Putin's this evil person. Maybe you're right. I don't know. But what if we look from his perspective? Now, he's coming. he has a Cold War perspective, the way I see it. He's thinking like it's still the Cold War. He's here in Russia, and he sees the West and NATO out to get him. And the reason why he's invading Ukraine is because with, if Ukraine was NATO, that would leave Russia in a very much a less defensible position from the West and NATO in Europe wanting to come in and take out Russia. Um, so from that perspective of the West wanting to destroy Russia, it may, there's, all the, uh, there's economic reasons too for this, but from that perspective, it makes sense why Ukraine is such a big deal to Putin. Um, and we can argue whether his perspective is right or wrong, but he probably has reasons for thinking why the West would come in. I mean, to be fair, we did go into the like Iraq and stuff and tried to impose our values. Maybe that's a harsh way of putting it. But what I'm saying is... Um, if we can understand someone's perspective, that's a better starting point than, like, you're a bad person. Right. Like, even if they are a bad person. Like, I want to understand. Like, I want to understand. So what I hear you saying through that example is it takes maturity in myself and personal health to even be able to see something from another person's perspective. So to seek understanding for before being understood Mm -hmm. and also not just seeking understanding, but being, um, being like, again, back to being self aware of where I'm functioning from and this unrealistic expectation and assumption that other people see things the way I do and then being confused why they're, behaving so differently or the outcome so different like the mask no mask thing we're just assuming everyone's functioning from the same framework and it other people's behavior is so confusing because we don't see they're operating from a completely different lens and framework Mm -hmm. one of the one of the things i hear too is the way we're talking about what unhealth looks like, given the different frameworks, um, sets us up for um, the way we react to unhealth. So, like, if you fail in a deontological system, you violated the rule, right? You're a rule breaker, and you need to be... You're guilty. Yeah, you're guilty, (laughs) and you need to be, like, put back in line, right? Right, right. If you fail in a consequentialist, like if I, if I view you through a consequentialist lens and, and you fail, then the way I'm going to see it is there's some drastic consequence that's a result of your actions, right? Whereas in a virtue ethics system, this is one of the reasons why it's really helpful for me, um, is failure looks like... Um, an opportunity to to grow toward virtue, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I can accept failure in myself, in theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, this is one of the places where I need to integrate within myself. Um, but in theory, uh, a failure, your failure is an opportunity to grow towards virtue. 
and my failure is an opportunity. So I can accept the reality, which is just reality for us. I can accept the reality of failure in a different way. Um, as, again, as opportunity for growth. Um, you brought up Putin. Now, like, he's had this reality is he has violated international norms. Right? Yeah. And, yeah, just if, if you're listening and you don't know what we're talking about, it's March 8th, 2022 yeah. today, and it was, what, 12 days ago, 13 days ago? Something like that. That uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Ukraine. And so we're, like, this very live moment for mm-hmm. uh, for us. Um, he has violated norms with drastic consequences. What would it mean to then go, I mean, because both of those are true now, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> he did violate the norms, and he did... The, the reality is a lot of people are dying and that's tragic. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how to like view it through virtue. I know. Right. Ethics. Like, okay, the guy needs to grow. That's fine. He also needs to be removed from power. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of also just testament to like, there is value to something like deontology or consequentialism, right. like this sort of like universal thing yeah. as well. Um, yeah, that example I just brought up because it's yeah. like the importance of looking at, um, so the importance of trying to understand another's perspective for their actions. That's just like a very big one. Um, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, like there is opportunity. Like even in the bad that's happening, there's opportunity for personal growth. Maybe not even for Putin, but what about for like Russia as a society? Like there could be, because who knows what could come, oh, this could come of for like the people of Russia. Um, seeing their leader act this way so and I can accept my own failures as like okay I'm gonna blow it and that's okay I'm growing yeah Uh, and again the language I would want to use is I'm growing to be more integrated as a part of that um, Jesus purpose for me as part of his bride in the future yeah. Um, which is cool. I can give grace to myself. Yeah. Like, it's like... With the, with the idea of... Um, yeah, with the idea of growth, there's room for failure of not fulfilling the, like, the rules or whatever. Whereas um, the more rigid, like... You know, there's rules and laws you have to follow, and if you fail, then, like, it's just bad. Yeah. But, I don't know, maybe failing at something isn't bad. Yeah. So taking this conversation to war makes it feel even more overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also, like, even bringing it back down to, like, relationally where we're at, I recognize that if I were to make us all some T-shirts, that say don't be a Pharisee that probably isn't <laughs> <laughs> helpful right or shouting through a foghorn downtown beware of the yeast of Herod like yeah. you know to protect us against um, syncretism of politics mm-hmm. that's not helpful yeah. either yeah. so what I'm thinking though is to spread the culture of oneness as I'm pondering with y'all that I can model it relationally in my own home I can model it in my circles of influence. And if we were to cultivate oneness in our spaces, we really are walking as children of light. 
and spreading a culture of lightness and showing, uh, at least within our circle of influence, what it looks like. And maybe just bringing awareness will allow others to bring awareness and break the cycle. It's like this generational sin that's being passed down from our gener, you know, from generations before. Mm-hmm. And we're participating in it, but at what point are we willing to expose the darkness that this isn't okay, y'all? And to do something about it, I don't have to conquer the world, and I know that I'm wired to desire that. But. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> you're not purely, practical. if you're a purely autonomous individual, then that would be the only option, is you have to conquer the world and subject everyone to yourself. But yeah, so, so I think of that verse, though, like, as far as it depends on me, yeah. live at peace. Yeah. So as far as it depends on me, I can choose to respond to my own children or my close yeah. friends or my family and the, the circle of influence at work or wherever my spaces are and on the playground and the softball coach or whoever in a way that cultivates oneness and unity and these things that you're talking about or we've been talking about, about being curious about others and um, giving them, just giving them permission to have a voice. Like too mm-hmm. often that's what we're fighting about mm-hmm. is just, just listen already, you know, like, Linda, listen, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So. That's really good. A realistic expectation is to uh, self-reflect. Yeah. I hear us saying. Yeah. And live what we're saying. Live this humble posture of oneness and curiosity about others. Yeah. Yeah. And really... That's what living love looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that curiosity aspect I think is huge. Like the it's what some people call like the sin of certainty. Mm-hmm. Like we're so certain about our views that we just kind of call anyone else bad or wrong or whatever. But maybe if we just were more curious about others' views, regardless of whether like the rightness or wrongness of it, if we're just curious about it or just curious about people. Like, that'll just by itself reshape us. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Which means I have to self-reflect and see what's hindering me and right now. Yep. Wired as a one on the Enneagram, like, my default is anger. Like, I'm angry. Yeah. And to recognize that that anger inside of me, that's not geared at people. It's geared towards the powers. Right? Mm-hmm. And this longing for oneness and order and beauty and restoration and healing, and I'm not seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, again, overwhelming, but I have to allow the Holy Spirit to touch those spaces that are not. And anger in itself isn't bad. It's more when it becomes root of bitterness and, and unwilling to listen. And, yeah. And then I'm not in a place of health in order where I could, you know be calm and quiet and listen mm-hmm. to other people and give them a voice. It's more, I have a few words that I'd like you to know, <laughs> you know, it's all in our tone maybe too, but I can't change my tone until I change my heart. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Yep. Do you want to, do you want to hear someone else, your, the other person's perspective or do you just want to tell them yours only? Yeah. Like someone mentioned that, like they'll ask them on that when they're talking to them. Like, do you want to hear my perspective or do you just want to just, tell me and that's a heart it. check yeah and, and like, it takes a strong mature yeah. person so ask yourself willing. ask yourself that do i want to actually know this person's viewpoint or do i just want to preach to them whatever my viewpoint okay well 
time is running on us, so yeah. we'll just leave it at that. Um, just to give a little heads up, I think the next thing we're going to go into is I did want to talk, do an, a dive into views on human nature, since I, I'm seeing that as very significant, and then take kind of a lot of what we talked about and look at the biblical narrative, and then from there, um, kind of bring it home, land it, land the plane on the idea of justice and social justice. Because if you remember from the first episode, this whole thing started because Jen asked me to do a biblical word study on justice. <laughs> You're welcome. So we should probably just land it somewhere like yeah. with the idea of justice or social justice since that's a hot topic today. Um, but I think it's a very important one and like apply what we're talking about in this area. So great yeah well thanks for listening guys and we will catch you in the next episode later